0: Ah, feels a bit staged, doesn't it?
1: No, whatever. I'm like, my belly's like full of food and I'm like, it's a little fat, happy side. I I just like scarf down things.
0: I, um, I made chickpeas and because for some reason when I cook chickpeas, I like to make them from, uh, like from the dried chickpea, like cooking them (laughs) until they're, uh, um, until like they're soft. And then, uh, but I was getting a lot of, um, Shall we say? Oh God! Uh, uh, there it is. Right yeah, now. exactly. A lot of I was getting a lot of wind from them to the point where I was like, "Okay, like I love chickpeas, but this isn't working. Like this isn't yeah. this isn't fair to me. It's not. It's not fair to my housemate. It's not fair to the neighbours. Like it's not fair to the people I walk past on the street. Like, like my desire for chickpeas is not worth this level of suffering. And so I was like." Yeah. Um, Okay, well, I can't do it. And then I did it again this time and nothing. And I think I had just undercooked the chickpeas.
1: Yeah, chickpeas are like one of the leading causes of food poisoning. Really? Yeah, because they're so full of protein. And protein is poisonous? No, but the the, the bacteria that causes food poisoning lives off protein. So everyone's aware that meat has protein in it. So they're very cautious around it. But rice and chickpeas... Yeah. Uh, have loads of protein on them, and people just like leave them out on the side, like, and they're like, "Oh, it's vegetarian; it can possibly hurt me." Like, no So, do you think that the um, the
0: the like the bacteria that live on it, they're like they're little like roid heads, like really muscular like dudes climbing all over <laughs> the food, like like pushing, like <laughs> lifting up a chickpea above their heads, like. Urgh, urgh.
1: You're yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Gigi, gorillas are vegan too.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there was a really, really muscular guy um, in like, no, he was, I think his name was Ziz, and he had like a, a crew called the Aesthetics. And was, this was in Australia in like the early 2000s. Uh, and he, his thing was that he used to be skinny and then he got really, really ripped. And he had this like, um, this kind of like glam rock sort of like haircut that was popular around that time with straight men, and like, yeah, and he was really hot actually. And then he went to Bali and uh, he went into a sauna, and then he had a heart attack and died. I think because, oh. because his heart was so weakened by the steroids that he was on.
1: Oh my gosh! I know some really good sauna horror stories. I'm sure we both know a lot of <laughs> a lot of really oh, good no, sauna yeah, horror no. stories. This is more of a good. Story. My favorite one, my favorite favorite sauna horror story that I heard whilst in a sauna was apparently that there was like two dudes in Russia who were like having like a competition over who could stay in the sauna longest. Because this is what straight men Men are stupid. Yeah, well, this is what happens when you aren't, like, forced to, like, question, you know, forced to, like, evaluate how you're going to survive in the world. Yeah, or just, like, learn how to,
0: look, like, be aware of whether someone's trying to overtake you on the street.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, basically, what, if, there was someone who was, like, the, the reigning champ, and there was, there was the person who wanted to challenge his his sauna record. So he basically covered himself in, like, numbing cream so that he could not feel the pain of the sauna and stay in there for longer. Which obviously was a complete disaster and basically the long and the short of it is that both of the people passed out because they were in the sauna for so long. And the one who didn't have the numbing cream woke up when people took him out and they were like, oh my god, what happened to the, to the other guy? And basically when they tried to lift him out, he they couldn't because he uh, was boiled from the inside out and the skin came off the, to the bone. Because the body lost its ability to keep itself cool. Oh my god. How, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, people, and that was, so someone, and that, and then the person turned around and said, So, don't spend too long in the sauna. I was like, Oh god. Oh
0: my god. That's, fuck, that's fucking intense. <laughs> right. I mean, this is what dudes in Russia do. I think it's what dudes everywhere do. Oh god Well I don't oh, think that, I don't oh. think dudes everywhere do exactly that. <laughs> 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 I think that's Unfortunately. a very fortunately Yeah, there's a specific yeah, that's a spe- that seems like a very specific case. Yeah. Oh my um, god, that, that image is going to haunt my
1: dreams. I you know what, it already haunts mine. So you know a problem shares a problem halved.
0: Oh It's not
1: true. No, it's not true.
0: Well sometimes <laughs> it depends. Sometimes it's really nice to be miserable with other people, but that doesn't mean that you necessarily have to make them miserable because of, because of the thing that makes you miserable.
1: But rather, if you're miserable, someone else being miserable
0: can be a really good time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, it was so good. I mean, just the way it breaks down is just completely with like SDIs, just like, no, this is not. Oh, this. yeah. No, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't
0: cure your gonorrhea if you give someone gonorrhea. Oh, oh god sorry. yeah in, the, in like in that case like there would be no gonorrhea in Berlin right because
1: everyone has oh everyone who has gonorrhea is giving their gonorrhea to someone and then so then they wouldn't yeah. have gonorrhea anymore I think the only way it would work is basically is just to normalise you'd have to just normalise having gonorrhea which I mean we're all on the way to from your previous con- <laughs> like no. oh my god
0: I am I'm not a supporter of that initiative
1: I have never had symptoms from gonorrhea but I have had gonorrhea I don't
0: think so either. Yeah, I have had it, but like I live in Berlin. Yeah, like, and that's 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 not like because there are people who listen to this podcast who don't live in Berlin. That's not us being like we're so well. Obviously, people aren't going to think it's I'm so Berlin. Cool. Like, but it's just that there is a lot of rear in Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, I, I got it to in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the guy, the guy let me know via text, and it was just a really mm. pleasant interaction. He was like, "Hey, sorry, bad news. Got to let you know this. I'm sorry. It's so annoying." And I was like, "Oh, that is annoying, but thank you so much for telling me." Like, like blah. blah. And then like, it
1: was you know, it was nice to talk to someone after you've had sex with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I don't even find gratuitous to be annoying. To be perfect. honest, because I feel that there's like maybe like if you're gonna get like. Like, okay, so, like, say for every, like, you there's a number of STI di- diseases out there and every single time you have unprotected sex in some way, you're kind of opening yourself up mm-hmm. to it in some way, shape, or form. So it's going to happen. I'm just like, oh, I've touched a touch of gonorrhea. I'm like, hee, could have been syphilis. And then you just go, and because, so you just take one load of antibiotics and that just, like, knocks it out. Yeah, but it's you not. You feel really weird. Yeah, it's
0: not very pleasant. Like, because the one where you take three pills at once and then oh. it's just, like... And you can feel every, like, also cells that are very important for your body just dying. <laughs>
1: I mean, to be perfectly honest, like, nothing will ever compare to the horrors of PEP. Up uh, pep, yeah. No, that yeah, is terrible. Like, that's for so for terrible. our dear Do listeners, you know, you... that's pre,
0: uh, post-exposure prophylaxis, which is something that one takes if one has had an exposure or a suspected exposure to HIV. Um, and then yeah. it's like similar drugs to uh, like the antiretrovirals that one takes when one uh, is HIV positive,
1: but like a specific combination of them. Um, well, no, it's what it is, is. It's two of them. Yeah. So it's it's PrEP, basically. So this is, this is they, they were giving PrEP out. So it's PrEP, which is uh, and PrEP gets its name from PEP. But it's PrEP. So which stops the spread of HIV. And it's a second one called uh ritagravir well
0: there's actually ritagravir... there's
1: different there's different kinds of pep actually because there's different combinations yeah but um... oh, okay but then with the, this main one basically is that there was so this is the sort of the main one that it stabilized and this is also why that basically there was consent like they, it manufactured consent for prep to be given out as a drug because they're like well we're already administering this drug anyway as a post-exposure thing we might as well just give them this instead of giving people these two drugs we should just give them this one drug that prevents the the spread from it and uh which in england they argued against like loads but anyway but then the ritography what it does is it the way it works is it destroys all new cell growth in your body so one stops the spread of the disease and then the other one just destroy literally destroys cells in your body so that no new cells can grow with the hiv virus in them yeah but that also means you just can't heal so by the end of the month you're just completely like like nauseous, sick and can like, like completely weak as well. Yeah. I didn't, I had
0: like, when I had it, I had uh, symptoms that were more like that. I, it, there's one that like really uh, disturbs your sleep. And a lot of people mm. report having really bad dreams on it. Um, uh. I can't remember what it was, um, but it was, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty unpleasant um, uh, like course of drugs to go on. Yeah. Yeah. All hail prep. Yeah, prep, prep, I've had no complaints.
1: And uh, I know...
0: mm. Uh,
1: It gives me... It affects my stomach for the first three weeks. I've heard this. This is pretty common. I haven't got that. Yeah. 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 But I have a pretty horrible stomach anyway, so I'm just like, yeah.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, like, I'm trying to think of a segue into our theme, but, like, I could say you're your horrible stomach is my
1: fantasy no that's awful like wait, basically as well it's like prep uh uh uh, medication that prevents the spread of hiv who once upon a time that was just a fantasy oh yeah that's that's better (laughs) (laughs) i guess
0: that's better I, i i am queen of the heavens and of the earth empress of despair architect of your eternal suffering olympia Bukakis. And I'm the thing that keeps this rolling, oozing gloop. <laughs> and you're listening to our podcast, Slurry. Slurry!
1: Here we go. Oh my god, and today's theme is fantasy. Fantasy. Are you ready for it? Gloop. Fantasy. Oh my god. I'm just I want to just dive into a gigantic ocean of Fanta and just drink it all. Fanta? Fanta. Fantasy! I'm just you know what Fanta is? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We have it in Australia, but only in the orange flavour. <laughs> Um, do you have it in different flavors in the UK? We used to, yes, we used to have it in different flavors. Fanta Twist. Fanta Twist. Well, you know, yeah. I stopped drinking soft drinks for years, like such a long time. Um, yeah. and recently I, um, so like to the point like, oh, I would drink sugar-free soft drinks, if I, like, were to go to McDonald's on a rare occasion or something. I stopped eating um, McDonald's when I moved to Germany because it costs the same as a decent meal, but somehow it doesn't taste as good as
1: Australian McDonald's.
0: Is that... Have you yeah. noticed a difference?
1: Yeah, well, actually, the thing is, like, I remember one time... Okay, so, like, the, the McDonald's at uh, at Hermann Yes. Yeah. They used to sell chicken wings. Yeah. And, uh, th- like, three of us went there and we got some food. Yeah, because McDonald's, it's, it's, there's no there's no incentive to go to McDonald's because it's the same price as everything else. Yeah, right? And, yeah, completely. And it's it's still dirty. And then I think that there's probably some, like, illegal additives that the sphere like, approves of that Germany doesn't. Like, Haribo sweets in Germany are terrible. Ah, that could be it. That in the EU yeah. they're not allowed to put the poison in that they can...
0: Oh, no, but... Because the UK used to have the, the same UK... regulations
1: as the EU. So but i think i know i think it's just germany ah but okay mm. yeah. but like it, it, it like, tastes like crap right yeah it tastes like crap. i mean it tastes like crap in the uk as well oh
0: it tastes like crap in australia but it, it's half the cost yeah. of any other meal that you're going to buy and uh, and somehow it's just delicious i went i went through a week where i realized i couldn't feel full unless i ate mcdonald's as like so like for every meal that I ate that wasn't McDonald's, I would then have to go and eat a meal at McDonald's what? in order to feel what? full. In order to feel full. What? Yes. What? Yeah, this was 2013 and it was like, it was amazing. It was such a good week. I was working on a play that I really liked and um and then I just had McDonald's for dinner every night and it was delicious. It was so good. Oh my god, what if you say so? I remember oh. it actually, oh my god, so that's seven years ago. It's been it's been since before then that I, it was just after I moved to Berlin that I stopped drinking sugar. I made the the decision to stop drinking sugar. And just recently I got, um, uh, I got a burger and chips. And uh, this is, this is such a boring story. And I ordered a (laughs) coat, I ordered a collar as well. And then I drank the collar, and I was like, oh my God, this is delicious. It was so good. Oh my god! It was everything. It was a fantasy. <laughs> and then, so like, and then I realized: well, when I'm going to get a burger and chips, I'm going to have uh, a cola with it. I'm just going to okay. get, and not Coca
1: Cola because it tastes like shit. But like these German collars, they're so nice. I'm. You know what? I'm so glad you have discovered. Uh, do you feel like a fully realized woman now?
0: Yeah, I think that was the puzzle piece that was missing.
1: <laughs> any, weird, any, Fuck, weird gender, yeah, any
0: weird gender stuff that I was happy having just gone. Now that I had that fiz
1: it gesamte Frau. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I like just like. uh Well, the thing is, is that um I was actually looking so like sugar like could like ages you and stuff like that. Like it causes like, like. I didn't understand what you said sugar ages you oh. it's really aging there's there's this person I was I saw this nutrition let, let
0: this the book. sugar and the Botox in my body juke it out I'm just gonna sit back yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna get a burger and chips and I'm just gonna watch who wins you know yeah. and there's a fucking there's a, like an audience of like pro, like chickpea protein bras <laughs> eating, like protein <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is it's like it's like one of those like fixed dog fights where it's just like you know like there's you have a secret weapon or something to, to make sure that the dog that you want to win will win but you're you're entertained by yeah. the dogfight. I don't this is a bad example. Um but like <laughs> so if I find like I want the collar and the Botox to be duking it out to see how old they make me look. But if yeah. I do find that the collar is winning too much then I have a syringe just next <laughs> next yeah. to going like directly into my forehead. It's <laughs> up <laughs> <laughs> <suck> my sleeve
1: it's <laughs> <There's> a syringe <laughs> of Botox <laughs> I think why not just like Gorilla Glue your, spray your face in place? What is that? Oh, Gorilla Glue. There was, a, there was someone, uh, a very, uh, unfortunately somebody, uh, well on TikTok someone was styling their hair and or they had the previous style of hair, they had, run out of hairspray and so they use a spray adhesive to fix their hair, which, uh, which, you know, like hairspray is basically a spray adhesive of a certain kind. It's not beyond the realm of reason. Um yeah it is. I'm full... <laughs> so <Sorry. laughs> you yeah, you sat there stroking your 2 inches of mullet like with completely bald on top Being like like there's a uh... Uh, like, it's okay to use a little bit of spray adhesive. Yeah, like, yeah, but a little bit of glue. Wait, why am I going with this? No, I feel judged. No, no, I'm not,
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm not judging you. I'm saying you're being too generous to the person who thought I could use glue on my hair rather than hairspray. Because, yes, it is a spray adhesive, but it, in the name, it's quite obvious yeah. that it's designed for hair. You don't go putting fucking super glue on your head.
1: Anyway, what happened to this person? I mean, well, I'm just thinking, I literally, I mean, I used to have high heel shoes that were made more of tape than they were of shoe, just like... Yeah, but that's clever, because that stuck them to your feet. (laughs) I think ultimately, yes, at the same time, I still only do have eight toenails, so perhaps like, maybe, uh, just buying some new shoes would have been slightly more advisable somewhere along the line, but, um... Uh, regardless, we all do silly things in, in certain moments where we're like, it'll be fine. But the problem is, is that Gorilla Glue is one of the strongest types of glue that you can possibly buy. It's really like, you know, like you'll see it, like it's really, really, Gorilla Glue is unbelievably strong. This person watched that. they made their video. They said, I've washed my, uh, I washed my hair. I washed my hair 15 times and it has not moved. Like, it's completely there. So she ended up going to hospital and the internet is waiting with bated breath to see what happens. I, oh my God. Okay. So that's, that's a fantastic story. Um, yeah. But I also
0: think that like, um, she will probably look great with a shaved head. So like, you know. Um, yeah. Godspeed to her It's clearly not a very smart thing to do But there's lots of people in the world And that means proportionately A large number of us are going to do dumb stuff I heard oh, There yeah. was a hairspray A really, really strong hairspray That I used to use to spray, set my makeup um, yeah. In Australia in like 2009 or something And I, someone was like You have to be really careful with that Because I heard of a woman in Geelong Which is a small city near Melbourne She sprayed her face with this hairspray and then she went and did a flaming shot at a bar um, (laughs) and, and her face caught fire. Oh my God, that's a look. Yeah, but you know, actually, now that I say that at the age of 33, I don't think that happened.
1: I mean, it's also as well like there's the extent. It's also as well the the extent to which it caught fire as well. Do you know what I mean? Because like it could have just been like a little. Spark like it, no, but
0: even if it was just a wolf and the eyelashes are gone, still yeah. like worth it. Like amazing, stunning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Completely. yeah. Let's do it right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, but like um, I think I would look great without eyelashes.
1: No, you think that it's not true. Yeah. Yeah, like, eyelashes are just, like, you don't really notice the work that they're doing. I know,
0: I thought, I noticed that about eyebrows, because I was very often sweating into my eyes. Just as we're talking now, I'm remembering a dream that I woke myself up laughing from this morning. Yeah. Because (laughs) I was talking to I, I was talking to a group of people, and I was like, oh my god, I just don't, I don't know, um... I don't know, I don't, like, it's just like so much intense intense stuff and has happened in my life and before I know it, like, you know, I blink and I'm already 28 and then, and then, and I was really upset because I was like so much of my life has just flashed before my eyes (laughs) and I'm so close to death and it that kind of upset me to the point where I woke up a little bit and then I was like, oh my God, that's not even true, I'm 34, (laughs) <laughs> and I was like so it was like like I, I went from thinking I was like eighteen or something to being like I'm twenty-eight, which is bad. And then being like yeah. I'm thirty-four. And like <laughs> even then just telling the story now, I realised I'm not thirty-four, I'm thirty-three. What? You're thirty three, what are you turning
1: thirty four? September. I mean we're basically there, you know, it's just like lockdown between now and then. We should always just celebrate our birthdays consistently. I think I, like, I have such a complicated relationship with my birthday. I hate it. Right. Well, I'm actually just deciding that, like, my... Okay, like, basically from the... Okay, so I'm going to be uh, 31 this year. Therefore, I want to celebrate my birthday up in, From the begin From New Year's Eve until the date of my birthday. I think that's just the, the new logic. New Year's Eve until your birthday. Yeah. November 13th. God. Okay. 11 months. 11 months. Christmas. Then it's my birthday. That sounds fab. Yeah, that's nice. That's <laughs> nice. I just, yeah,
0: I, I think it's just because your birthday is supposed to be a day that's nice. And then when it's not, I just get, I, I just, just bad things happen on my birthday. Bad things. Yeah, no,
1: I, yeah, no, I actually, the thing is, the three, the three. I have a really great time most of the year. And then the three days I don't like are Christmas, New Year's and my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, pass, thanks. Yeah. Like, there's just a... Yeah, no, I don't like it. It's just too, it's just too... I mean, I understand it. it's basically when you have like a, a, a daily working... I understand why these things are important and, and, and there's certain very nice things about them and stuff like that, uh, especially when you're like working from like nine to five, five days a week or something. Mm-hmm. And then that we have these moments where people can collectively break away from their basic reality. Uh, to enjoy time together. But no, it's not not for me, thanks.
0: Well, I think that the idea that that, that you can, like, there's like a time set aside that's going to be really special and nice um, uh, is a fantasy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's a fantasy that the reality never lives up to. You're like, yeah, it's like you can never live up to the fantasy of your birthday and therefore you get really upset. This is why, like, sometimes I think fantasy helps in that
0: it distracts you from like the way things are, but sometimes it makes the way things are even harder. So, Cause like my interest, what, like my interest in fantasy okay. is, uh, comes from the background of being <clears throat> a queer teenager in rural Australia, uh, mm. <clears throat> who um, was deeply uninterested in uh like the male role models that I was being offered in, in like the, in the media, like mm-hmm. just the, the men, like we had this guy called Rove in Australia. Um, and like <laughs> Rove. Rove. Yeah. And Rove. Rove live. And he was just a <laughs> fucking dickhead. He was such a dickhead. My name's Rove. Yeah. I live in the Grove. Uh, oh he was God. just uh, like, and his catch line was say hi to your mum for me. Um,
1: Oh God. And ew. it's like,
0: are you like, is that a sexual thing or are you just like, Aiming to be that Neighbourhood guy
1: Who's like Friends with your mum In a way that's weird I think it's both I think it's both I think it's like I think it's like This kind of like Uh the special form Of Of like Cursed camp That straight men use As like pred- To be pred- predators Yeah right he, Like Jimmy Savile
0: he, he, he did He was a little bit camp <clears throat> But I'm not sure If that's just because He was short <laughs> He was very short But um, uh, like all of these male role models That uh, were presented to me I was just like totally uninterested in So I started to read lots of fantasy books About women with powers Um, Lonely women with powers There's a really famous um, and thus you became a drag queen. Yeah, right. Oh my god, shock. <laughs> reveal, surprise. Like, well, I just like and it was also these third wave feminist like action, fantasy action heroes like charmed. I was so into like people fighting demons with a chunky chunky heeled boot. Um, <laughs> like Buffy doing the same. And like I was so so into it. And um, uh, and like but in that way, no, that was just good. Because, like I, like, I was like, <clears throat> everyday life, terrible, right? But then I look away from everyday life and there's this, like, amazing, like, woman who can, like, make people see things with her mind or something like that, um, who, like, goes through all these trials. It's the Ober Newton Chronicles. They're a really famous mm-hmm. series uh, in Australia by Isabel Carmody, um, And, you know, like she's fighting against prejudice and stuff and she doesn't know how to relate to other people. And like um, (laughs) she comes across as like this really sort of like distant, weird bitch, which I always wish that I could come across as a distant, weird bitch. But like it's it's very difficult for me to um, shut up. Be distant yeah yeah I think I could very immediate weird bitch <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I can stay emotionally distant but I'm like I've, I've, <gasps> I've always I talked about this with a friend recently that we're like we've always wanted to be those like like interesting shy like quiet people that people are like oh my god I just want to know more about you and then we've tried at different points in our life to be that person and it just doesn't work
1: <laughs> right i have a lot to say about this it's such this is such this like shy distance but thing is such fucking bullshit which i say is like so and it's also as well it's not the revolution uh by people just being like too like and also the thing is as well is that then lots of, i hate it i hate that we have uh, a process of like of this like sort of like binary dualism of like public private divides like everywhere that m- make people create these like different personas where they then stay distant they assume that anyone else who is then present Is like, it makes anyone who's being present with the situation look like a fucking, uh, gawky, dweeby, uh, twat. And then also as well that then there's this thing where it's kind of like this process of where I'm going to hide myself and then slowly reveal myself to then make sure, rather than just being myself up front and making people form the same. Because, you know, like this, uh, uh, because that's basically what this thing works. This is how this works. Like there's very rare that people, like lots of people are really just like quite goofy Actually, and they try and hide this. However, mm. one time this worked completely in my favor because obviously, like this, you never pull like and that, like by being like weird and distant and stuff like that. People can just look at you, like pour their fantasies into you, like resculpt you like in their image, and then they'll they'll get with you. And then once they learn more about you, they're a bit more like, ah, wait, they, this is not my fantasy. And so, and the time it worked is I was at Glastonbury and I lost my voice because I had been talking and screaming so much. And then, uh, I was working at a tent where Mickey Blanco was performing and, um, I saw Mickey Blanco and I was just so embarrassed that I couldn't, I, that I'd lost my voice and I couldn't speak. I sort of just looked at him and I just kind of like, just, uh, I just went, I was like, well, I've just got to get on and do what I need to do, like get myself and things. And so I was going around and, um, then at one point he was having an interview in the place where all my stuff was. So I just sit there and wait for him to like move from it. Anyway, long the short of it is, we were getting together with each other later. <laughs> and then and we had sex for 18 hours. Like uh it was absurd, like I was ridiculous. But at some point in it, he said, "Oh, you know, I saw you earlier and I was just wondering, hmm, who is this cute, quiet, little weird fagger?" I was like <laughs> He didn't even say weird, he said something else. It was like cute, quiet, nice, uh, uh oh cute quiet, faggot, I wanna know where I was like this is the only time I have ever been described as cute or quiet and it's because I have lost my voice. Yes. I know this. I
0: <laughs> I've also had this. I was at Fickendry Thousand and I had lost my voice. And then, oh my god, my god and so I was I was writing on a on a pad with people. Oh my god! Um <clears throat> yeah. And then I just started up this really cute and this guy. Because he was like, well, if you can't talk, I won't talk either. And so we were writing back and forward in this book to each other. Um, And it was like this really beautiful, like, like really cute, like flirtation that was really somehow very like pure or whatever. Because then like yeah. some, we would, one, one of us would write something And then like shyly Sort of hand it to the other person And the other <laughs> person would read it And then we would make eye contact And then they would write back It was beautiful I loved yeah. it And then yeah I, I came across Is this, this really sort of, This really like Serene Gentle person I yeah, you know <laughs> Whereas, like, Fake news Normally I'd be like Slamming my beer bottle In the middle of the table And being like Everybody listen to
1: me Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're all fuckers. Yeah. Why won't you have sex with me? <laughs> like, did you go, did you mutely manage to take him into the dark room?
0: Really? No, I didn't. I didn't want to actually. It was just a really nice interaction by itself there. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. He could have sorted your throat out.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm not sure that that's a cure, but I'm not a doctor. So how would I know? <laughs> I think it definitely goes under the title of ho- uh, under the section of homeopathy. 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 Homopathy, Homopathy. <laughs> Yeah,
0: <laughs> I like in that like yeah. I think that is a kind of alternative mes- medicine that I would be willing to give a go. Yeah. See if a bit of yeah, vitamin yeah, yeah. D can sort of bring my voice back. <laughs> <about> vitamin D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I started taking that again recently, and it really helped. I mean, I'm happy today. Yay! Oh, you can be the sunshine. Yeah. I went for a run in the sunshine and that was really nice. And also it's this thing, this, thing, this like when <clears throat> people who are running or when, and also when you are running, like are just somehow magnetically fuckable. Like if someone runs past uh-huh. you. Like, like it's like, they're only going to be passing me for a short period of time. So I'm going to feel all of the desire that I might feel for them immediately.
1: Like, you know, people, everyone just like, to, everyone checks you out when you're running. Everyone. I hadn't noticed that, but when I used to go around on a bike, I used to just check out everyone, yeah. like, shamelessly. Because I was like, "I'm you know, I'm speeding by. Like, yeah. I don't have time. Yeah. Just like, boom, boom. Oh, yeah. That, <laughs> like, there are people who do bike porn,
0: right? I've never
1: seen it. Oh, I saw it one time. I saw it in Edinburgh at the, it was like the closing, there was this, um, uh, at a certain point, I used to, I was just like, am I death because I basically only ever turn up whenever I manage to turn up to somewhere culturally significant. It always seems to be like as it's in decline or it's its very last event. Um, <clears throat> and one of these was a place called the Forest in Edinburgh, which reopened as a, a small cafe. But it was basically it was an anarchi- It was a it was a left wing uh, eco uh, anarchist collective that had a gigantic church in the middle of Edinburgh. Cool. And yeah, it was so gorgeous. And I was like there for the very, for the closing party, basically. And uh, for the very last time, because it was being gentrified. And uh, there was the bike porn people down there. The bike porn people, uh, it, which uh, includes Anne Fiddler, who lives in Berlin. Oh, hi, hi. Anne.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Anne Fiddler used to the bike porn, yeah. Where, where, and, I mean, where
0: is the bike? How does the oh, bike there were, it was a
1: it was a number of short movies. Is the
0: bike in the background or is the bike a sexual partner? because oh you my know gosh. when my mum was pregnant with me she was yeah. riding a bike around the town uh, like yeah. like to get around and people were gossiping about my mum for riding a, a bike uh, when she was pregnant because like that's where I'm from um, mm. and, and someone told this to my mom. they're like people are concerned that you're riding a bike around town and my mom said I leave the seat on it's fine
1: <laughs> <laughs> she's just like what the fuck's wrong with you there's a really famous porn of it i say it's really famous it's like in, if you're a complete dungeon dweller of the internet uh video of a guy who's just got like a massive fucking dildo on a bike takes a bike seat off put a massive dildo on there and has a hole in his jeans and he just rides around uh cycles around like that sounds uh, with it fucking kind of uh, i was gonna say that sounds wholesome but it's like, it's
0: definitely committed.
1: Yeah, it's completely committed. It's just like, whoop, like, you know when you're standing up in the seat and then like bobbing up and down like that. And then also, but then in the bike porn thing, there was a guy who was like on a machine pedaling that, and then that, that bike was a static bike that went, that went to another thing 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 that went to a thrusting rod that went to another thing that went inside something that was inside some spread legs. Ah,
0: uh-huh. wow. That sounds very mediated. That sounds like some intimacy that even a gay man in Berlin could handle. Oh, my gosh. I mean, like, I think I would prefer
1: is the correct term. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I mean, I just want to say, I want to just congratulate us on the most mundane episode ever of Slurry on the theme of fantasy. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I was actually thinking about this,
0: that, that like, uh, in, like, in, because I think that, like, the The gay male like sexual imaginary in this city in particular can be like I find that it has a real sort of like um, uh, necroerotics to it like because that, that, there 's so much of a fear of intimacy right um, yeah like and like pathologically so like more so like obviously like it's it 's like a bit of a cliche that gay men can struggle with intimacy. But, um, Mm. like, in this city in particular, it's, like, it's taken to, like, really massive extremes. And so this is, like, obviously not to judge any individual sexuality because, like, someone not being into intimacy in sex, while, like, certainly not my cup of tea, is, like, like fine. But, like, I'm talking about, like, the coagulation of a large number of people. I think also resulting from the specific traumas uh, and privileges that go along with being... Like uh, a cis gay man Um, And it leads I think to this This sort of like It's like this eroticization of absence There's this fantasy Of being able to have sex With a person Who isn't there
1: Mm, Yeah 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 I think there's I think there's a certain aspect about that. I also just think that fundamentally that there's a certain aspect about it that's just very self-seeking as well, where it's just like, where the sexuality is about going about and getting... And when you have two people in a situation who are only ter- seeking for their own needs, that's going to act... But What the irony of that being that sex is intrinsically a collaborative affair, that is going to be a disappointment to both of you. But I, I, I think that's part of it, but I think that what's lying behind it
0: is... I don't think it's just about man being selfish, I think that it's like, this is in the, in the, um, in the introduction to the, uh, the poem, The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock, uh, there's a quote from Dante's Inferno. And I can't remember, mm. like, um, <clears throat> it's in Italian, uh, but it's something about, like, um, if you say, say something to my face, then, uh, like, or oh, this person can yell out all of the deep- deepest secrets into, like, the depths of hell because they fear, they don't fear the response, um Mm. and it's like that like the thing is if you if you are intimate with someone that you have sex with then what you have to see is yourself reflected in their eyes um Mm. and and you have to and you're like you're confronted with your your own desires which if you're queer of you very probably have uh some difficulties that relate to like being condemned uh like when you're younger, and so like you're you're like it's a, it's a sad thing I think for queer kids that very often our desire wakes up, uh, like the act of uh, of our desire like blooming, is mm-hmm. is the beginning of a traumatic process, because you you all of a sudden start to desire things that make you very afraid of what's going to happen to you, and I think we see like we see the result of this. So I think it's like, yes, but like, I agree that it's like there's very often the selfishness in sex, but like. What like what's behind that, I think, is this terror that one will see oneself reflected in the eyes of, the, uh, of their partner. And so the ideal partner would be one who isn't there or one who is not a reflective surface. And this is what I mean, this necropolitics, it's like that, like being attracted to a body that isn't, like that isn't inhabited, uh, not, not necropolitics, necroerotics
1: yeah i mean also as well i'm hesitant because it's also i think that there's a very interesting i mean it's very interesting to also just think about the the generational impact of like uh like hiv and aids as well in terms of like the associations of queerness and death uh within these things and like also as well like the what was interesting a very interesting thing as well about that is that after this um after uh, this is also the after uh, HIV and AIDS was the process of people becoming super muscular. Mm. There was this like real like push to be very healthy and stuff like that. And then also this is also, for example, in London, in Soho, like lots of bars got remade over into being glass fronted. And it, this very like clean aesthetic of the 90s, like glass fronted chrome, like white design things that now is like all like really crappy IKEA stuff. And also as well that then there was this idea of this very kind of like I know this very uh, narcissistic surface level kind of aesthetic process sort of enters into it, but maybe there was already a sort of form of narcissism, and this is this is this is a uh, another thing. But I think there's something about the process of the idea of that. Queerness, the queerness was constructed as a form of death, repeatedly, mm-hmm. again and again and again, mm-hmm. by straight society, and that that was somehow acceptable and deserving of you for your misconduct that you were guilty of, rather than say, uh, you know, a public health crisis, which the situation was. And we're actually seeing what oh, wow. a response looks like uh, now to that. And even in that, there's huge failures as well. But regardless, um. I think that there's yeah I think there's certain things uh, with that I think that um, I think there's I think that there's this sort of kind of like dimension to it I think that basically the queer people are punished so much for sex that then they become hypersexualized, which is like, if I'm going to be super punished for this thing, that it's actually kind of quite enjoyable. I might as well be fucking doing it. But then within that as well, I don't think then the, the impulse to do that then comes from the celebration of the act. Exactly. It comes from like the condemnation to do the act, I guess. Yeah. Is that kind of the, the angle? Yeah, I think I think that's, yeah. I, I totally agree with that.
0: And I think it goes along with the really extreme drug abuse that, uh, that like uh, also goes along with, um, a lot of this kind of desire here i like i think that's uh i think that's also what i think about like that like um when you're in an environment that involves that like really like dangerous and intense um uh level of substance abuse it's also true that mm. death is there like death is uh like a specter uh in that space um and it's and then that's something that's also eroticized um and there's like i think yeah I, I'm like, <laughs> I'm the last person <laughs>
1: to judge people for eroticizing debt, But <laughs> yeah. like, do you remember one time, wait, one time we were, we were, we were doing a performance in a tattoo shop and there was someone who had like some kind of like, um, like had like something like some kind of thing about either erotic or necrotic on their um tattoos and it was like some romanticization of like death and i and i I misread it and i was like oh i thought you meant like madonna and then you were doing your makeup and you turned around and you looked and you went what necrotic erotic put your hands all into my coffin
0: (laughs) (laughs) do you remember that i don't i don't remember saying that but i
1: remember you telling me i think you told me on this podcast yeah Yes, (laughs) Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes, I always laugh at that and then also this person who was sat there with these very questionable tattoos was just like was like very cl- very certain that he was the butt of the joke but not quite intelligent enough to know quite what the joke was <laughs> <laughs> for which he would have had to have had a level of self perspective that he would not have, that anyone with would not have got those tattoos yeah not that I want to judge people for getting tattoos because I love body autonomy I have a fantasy of like a sexually free society. I, you know, I believe very much, I was reading those things like, I believe that uh, it's very interesting that, for example, during the HIV and AIDS crisis, there was a a guy called Andrew O'Sullivan who was catapulted to become the de facto representative of the gay community because he was a HIV positive man. And also, but he was also, he was very Republican. He had lots of views and it's really great. It's in, in gentrification of the mind that I keep harping on about and stuff as well. Um, he says, yeah, he says Sarah Shaw was interviewing him and she, she asks him, she directly asks, him. And he was like, this is the, this became the face of gay politics, basically. And he was an author and he was very individualistic. He didn't participate in community responses. He says that, you know, I was never a group person, all of these things. And, uh... And he, you know, he says he's against abortion. And when he's asked about this, he gets very defensive. He's like, "Oh, you're trying to question me about my, you know, where I fit in the leftist orthodoxy." And this person is like, "Look, I just want you to be accountable. You just need to say I'm into it or not into it." Like, and he, but he's super defensive about it. And then also within that as well. And then it's and um, because he was a voice that was magnified by the media as a structure of domination because he would echo values according to the dominant culture and that that was a political choice and he refused to see that. He saw it as his own merit got him there which is basically just it's this process of privilege like sort of how like Donald Trump managed to like take advantage of populism and got into the White House and then felt that he deserved to be there even though it was always like some kind of scam that he never intended to do. Anyway but in that as well and this is the main voice and then uh, Sarah Shulman asks him and says, so they're going on, he says, like, oh, these these queers, these queers that are too loud, da da da. And she says, um, so do you think Stonewall was a mistake? And he said, Yes. Nothing has set gay rights back further in this country than Stonewall. Which and this was the the person who was brought up on Fox News and all of these things and made the voice of a of a generation. And that's and that Sarah Shulman writes that it's, it's voices like this that are most acceptable to the dominant culture that get magnified, whereas the queers... queers... gender non-queers that are too femme, too fabulous or too sexual are ignored because it's a very asexual person and that actually that there is... there are so many wonderful things about queerness and sexuality that really... that really are dying out, actually, because many of the people who remember the time when this is... this was happening are now too old to be occupying sex spaces. Like yeah, and, for many reasons: their own health, their activity, their
0: interests, etc. And, and right a lot of thing. sex spaces are being replaced by something like Grinder as well. And like Grinder is a fucking repulsive uh, medium. Like a Grinder is a medium that is set up for exactly that kind of gay, like yeah, like a conservative gay who resents uh, like people who are like gender nonconforming or even like a bit effeminate. Um, and like and so like everyone butchers up on this platform. Everyone yeah. And then like. And even people like it's the platform is set up exactly. And the guy who uh, like uh, um, invented the app said that he wanted to make a way a way for uh, gay men to meet each other outside of the more stereotypical um, uh, like gay places like a gay bar or a protest, which is like the two the two like pillars of, of like of
1: queer culture historically. Right. Like, well, this is this is what Andrew O'Sullivan says about, he's, you know, he's, he talks about the idea of, like, how he, the people, the way he feels persecuted is not by Fox News or these ch- channels that were, like, right-wing media channels that like pulling him up, but he felt persecuted by, uh, by leftist gays, defining who isn't, isn't gay through their, you know, through these. Well, good. He that,
0: if he feels hunted by like, that, then you. good. It means that some people are on the right
1: trail. Yeah, it's also as well, yeah, it's just uh, like, uh, like, um, uh, but also as well, I mean, I'm sorry, but like, uh, is there anything, like, what could possibly be hotter than hooking up at a protest? Uh,
0: like, I'm like so into full that. sex
1: or? Oh my god, I actually, I did, I did have, uh, I had to, on the 23rd of each month, I like to do a, uh, a ritual called the Sizzle of Three Liquids, which you can look up if you're interested for the Temple of Psychic Youth and you have to write down your greatest sexual desire and do some other things and um, and uh, for that I imagine myself like uh, being fucked in an alleyway at like a a, a gay like uh, whilst a like a radical queer protest goes by like that would be amazing I but like even I have just meeting someone
0: I had uh, I have friends who at the like the Nazis wegbussen like the anti IFD demo yeah. that where the club like all the clubs Um, I'm not sure if it was the club commission, but like all of the clubs in Berlin, like, uh, and parties and stuff made like, they were the biggest contingent of this anti-IFD demo. And then the biggest contingent of that was the queer clubs. And, and it was going along. like the, the Strasse des Siebzenden Uni or something. Um, like up to the Brandenburg Gate and there's all these park parkland on both sides and all these queers yes. got fucking wasted and were just fucking in the bushes as yes. as it went along. So that actually, that is that is something I can totally get, get behind.
1: Yeah, it Smash the family. Fucking public. It's
0: so nice to have sex in, in nature. It's so nice.
1: Your nature in nature. Yeah. So as this is as this is a, a, a podcast about reality, let me tell you about my confrontation <laughs> with like the grimace reality where I was in the cruising ground one time and I was walking along and um, I heard a little noise and I looked down and there was a tiny little mouse and it saw me and it was scared. And I was like, oh, it's so cute. I don't want to scare it. And so I stopped. I stopped still. And the mouse stopped still. And I looked at the mouse and the mouse looked at me but the mouse. Sort of looked at me, and I just stayed really still. And it was like, okay, you're safe. So it went back to what it was doing, which I didn't notice. And I noticed it went back, and there was a great big human poo there. Oh. And then the mouse started eating the poo. <coughs> and i was like oh my god this is disgusting because it was a little brown mouse and a brick bamboo and i was like oh and i was like this is so gross but the mouse was so cute with these little black like, beady eyes and i reached out and i got my phone i pulled it out and i pressed record and as i did a fly came and landed on the mouse's back and started crawling all <laughs> over it. It was like, this is a time on Facebook when those, those, those videos of animals in nature sitting on each other were like really in vogue. <laughs> this is like the complete antithesis of that. It was absolutely horrible. That's disgusting. It was foul. Oh my God. I kind of
0: loved it. It was like, oh. Oh my God, that's terrible. Right, nature and nature. I, fi- yeah, that's not what I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking like green leaves and open air and a blue sky.
1: Yeah, another time when I was walking through the cruising ground in Hassanheider, I was walking and there was like a, a stalks like that, and someone had, obvi- had used a condom, and then they had artfully draped the condom over the end of one of these sticks that was sticking up like some like terrible rose.
0: Oh, <laughs>
1: it was like that's oh. disgusting again. <laughs> I mean, I do love disgusting things.
0: Yeah, you do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's a, fil- like, just like John Waters says, it's a filthy world.
0: It is, that is true. You know, I was thinking um, about, like, then it made me sort of think that, like, the fantasies that we have are produced by, like, our experiences, like, uh, like mm. by uh, the, our, a way of dealing with the society in, into which we're born. So this is why yeah. it's point like it's pointless and also totally like absurd and moralistic to judge uh, another person's fantasies.
1: Um, but like, yeah. well, I think it's interesting. Like, you know, there's, there's this comment as well that sci-fi, any sci-fi that's ever made, is always a comment about the society within which it's made, yes. rather than an actual vision of the future. Yes. Which I feel fits in very well, very well with
0: Which is why you see in, like, Tolkien, like, this very, like, this very intense nostalgia for, like... Well, I guess it wasn't nostalgia at the time, but a very intense fondness for, like, a greater separation of races. Um, (laughs) Like, because you have, like, these elves who represent some sort of Nordic ideal and the hobbits who are English and... um, and then, like, uh, like the various other racialized groups, including like humans who come from the east or the south who align themselves with Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like this whole thing. But like, um, this was something that I thought about when I was uh, like, cause, uh as I got a bit older, I realised that the fantasy that I was reading was like really, really conservative. Like, um, yeah.
1: Well, this is yeah. Because
0: like, and usually it's especially with race that it's really like that it's a real problem because it's like it romanticizes and like deifies whiteness. Um,
1: And then it's, it's really just like, it's really naked. I think. And it's, it's a very, it's a very peculiar double bind as well, which is it romanticizes whiteness in the, in the, in the spirit of being factual at the same time as intrinsically relies on the, the suspension, the wholesale suspension of the laws of physics and all forms of science and forms of history to create magic and elves and all of these things at the same time (sighs) oh yeah but that's what really happened though and it's very funny that actually that it's also this is with my work on ComiCracy. i've already got one short story and i think that i will never manage to write another one again because i'm too lazy uh or never or getting distracted by things but it's this idea of creating uh uh alternative fantasy because i really i've tried to work with this performatively or or in certain ways just because what really struck me is that for there to be this greater liberation of ideas you know for there to be dragons for there to be witches for there to be magic it seems necessary to go back into a more restrictive social system in which there's always emancipated female characters who are exceptions to uh, a very impoverished female condition yeah yeah absolutely
0: yeah, it is. Like, yeah, it's like in order to in order it's it's like the same. It's like the same like the Make America Great Again, right? Uh, <laughs> Great again. But it's like it's like that same logic that it's like if we go back to the olden days, then we can have special things. Um, and then it's also yeah. like with casting in like fantasy now. You know, you say this mm-hmm. thing about like that, like you know, there can be like flying dragons or whatever. But like if there are people of color in a like uh, in a fantasy genre that plays on a a, like a medieval european aesthetic um Mm. then people are like that's not very realistic as though migration Ah. is less uh, is less likely than a fucking flying lizard
1: yeah no and it's also it's actually factually completely wrong Uh, there's a oh there's a good tumblr that i used to Go on when tumblr was so active which is medieval people of like people something about wait uh i'm going to be very i'm going to annoy you and i'm going to google it right now yeah that is annoying um oh okay maybe i'll, it <laughs> maybe I'll just get i'll try and find the link yeah to yeah, actually, yeah yeah um okay that's a bit of one and it was and then i'll actually say it right but basically it's a tumblr devoted to you know to historical examples of people of color in, in medieval and and uh uh, moments of history in which which have been whitewashed and there are active attempts to whitewash it like for example the during um during the european dark ages there was a uh, islamic uh, empire in, in north africa and spain mm. and this is uh it's a very fascinating period of history they had street lights i don't know how but they had street lights i don't know if it was gas powered or if it was like they had street lights they had plumbing they had all these things there's uh, the Alhambra in Spain is an example of the architecture left over from the Islamic empire. It is because of uh, this empire there that we have the number zero because the number zero is... Uh, Arabic... The, the numbers zero to nine mm. are referred to as Arabic numerals. But uh, historically, uh, the Arabic people who brought them over, who, gave, who they got that name, referred to them as Hindi numerals because yeah. they actually came from India uh, in various ways. And also at the same time, the reason why... So the, these numbers were crucial to the renaissance which itself was crucial to the enlightenment because people didn't have the basic ability to uh, to abstract lack before they were using roman numerals or whatever they weren't using zero and roman they were...
0: numerals suck
1: yeah like they just Ro- roman
0: numeral- suck. numerals suck that's so shit i hate them they suck balls i
1: <laughs> <laughs> i know a really bad joke about roman numerals do you want to hear it is it gross no it's not okay gross. great Okay, go Okay, so in ancient Rome, they had uh, four types of poison. Uh, poison I, poison II, and poison III would kill you, whilst poison IV would just make you a little bit itchy. <laughs> 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 it was actually in Star Trek, and I saw it in a meme. Yeah, that's, that's, well, that's cute. Um, yeah, but this is true but, about Yeah, what also... Thing, it, yeah. Yeah, it was also all the scrolls of Greek philosophy that were also crucial. So all the writings writing were translated by a religiously tolerant Muslim empire that yeah. tolerated uh, Christians and Jews, uh, along with uh, with limited rights, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with uh, with their, and that created these centers of learning and centers of translation. Yeah, called... And so and so when we say European Dark Ages, we mean Christian Dark Ages, very specifically.
0: Yeah, it's called Al Andalus, right? And there was a very famous university. I can't remember its name. But uh, it was people from that university who went north uh, and founded Oxford. Um, So, like, so as in, like, the, like, the, uh, like, uh, the tradition of learning, like, Mm. um, in uh, Europe was very much kept alive by,
1: uh, like, Muslim Spain. It was actually arguably created by Muslim Spain because the uh, I mean, because if you look beforehand, then basically, uh, it's not until I mean, I, 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 the thing is, is that you have to, uh, because it depends on how you define Europe and what you think of Europe as being, which is to say that basically the Renaissance is a very like, I'd say it's kind of like, uh, very, uh, I suppose, like it's more like France and things, whereas these places uh previously in historically when learning was in centers of uh greece but then mainly rome and the roman empire of course were very much fringe places they were just like gauls and anglo-saxons and so there was no uh there was no history of learning in these places then well no history of recorded uh, of written learning hmm yeah the first book written in the first sort of like official 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 document in england is like the doomsday book which was done after the Normans invaded uh, England and started taxes, basically. There's other stuff to do with it. I can't quite remember what it is, but this is like the beginning of like, basically the the history of then what becomes sort of like the recognisable British state, Mm -hmm. as it were. And then apart from that, it's just like monks who were like writing about people, who were drawing pictures of people like blowing trumpets in their butts. Which is very important. Which is very yeah. important. But
0: this, like, well, because we we're talking about fantasy, because there, there has, like, there is, there's much better fantasy around now, right? Like, N.K. Jemison is amazing. She's really, really cool. She's an American author, and her, <laughs> my favorite one of hers is the Shattered Sky uh, trilogy. And uh, it's set on uh, this world where there's one single landmass, and the opening of the book is uh, mm-hmm. there are people called Origins. Um, um, and they can control, uh, they can cause earthquakes and stuff like that. And there's this one guy and he splits the continent in half, basically ending the world because, uh, mm-hmm. because he's enslaved. Um, and um, and then it's like going into the, the all, through, all throughout the, uh, the thing, it goes into these really, really interesting, um, uh, like it has a really interesting way of dealing with race uh, with sexuality, with family, it's really, really cool, and it's just, it's just brilliant. And it won the Hugo Award every year because the Hugo Award is like, it's like a sci-fi fantasy uh, award mm-hmm. for literature, and uh, it because like work that is original is far more likely to have like original and not uh, to be original and not like uh, recreate like racist and regressive tropes, um, like so-called progressive. Uh, like fiction has been winning the award progressively recently. And then there's a group of people called the sad puppies who have been trying to like rig the results so that like shit stuff by like mediocre, like white
1: men uh,
0: is guy go- is winning, but they're just not having much success.
1: The fucking fucking sad puppies need to be euthanized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's a... I actually want to mention... It's a specific book... That, well, the Hugo Award, there's, of course, there's this book... There's this amazing book, a, a series of books called Rosewater that I've mentioned before on this podcast, yeah. which won the Hugo Award before. I don't actually know anything about the politics of the Hugo Award, so that's very... It's a good, a great insight, but I don't really necessarily have a lot to contribute on the matter, apart from the fact that I think awards are kind of dumb. But, like, I, I understand that they're, they're sort of... They're useful, and it's a, it's a useful thing to at least uh, communicate with each other. And, hey, I'm also quite dumb sometimes. So, um... It's one of these things that, uh, but, um, yeah, like Rosewater won this thing, which is, uh, by Tate Thompson, and I got that from a place, it's the International Book Laden on, uh, in Berlin, and, uh, near Ostkreutz, basically, it's an international bookshop near Ostkreutz that, uh, Uh, has a lot of fiction in, and there's also another great bookstore in Berlin I love called Otherland Books that has an amazing collection of English and German sci-fi as well and bookstores are allowed to stay open during the lockdown because of uh, the the tax codes basically. So you can still go and buy books and support bookstores in this time of incredibly uh, controlled social manoeuvring. But there's also another great book as well that I want to mention which is uh, the book Maiden, Mother, Crone, Fantastical Transfems, And it's a, sh- a series of short stories all about trans feminine characters. Mm-hmm. Nice. Which is just really, fa- yeah, it's really fantastic because it's just like, and it's then seeing about how the how transition is then dealt with within a fantasy context, mm-hmm. which is like through various potions or different things, which is like completely fantastic because obviously trans people are often con- constructed as like modern subjects who are only able to exist as a result of Uh, the medical institution providing Mm, mm. certain things rather than, say, uh, as being, yeah, which also ultimately, like, just, well, fuck the gender binary, which is, the gender binary itself is my least favourite fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because in
0: um, uh, uh, Caliban and the Witch by Silvia Federici, she talks about how uh, practices of magic were overtaken... Uh, which were like uh very often like a uh like in the feminine domain um mm. were overtaken by medicine which uh like demagicked the body basically um mm. and this was like uh, accompanied with like with the witch burnings and all of this that like these things the creation of mo- um of modern medicine uh very much involved the um uh like uh, like brutalization of women's bodies and those who practice that magic. now the book is a little bit turfy because she doesn't acknowledge yeah. the existence of any people uh who aren't men or women. Um and uh like and she explicitly well, yeah. she explicitly rejects post like so called postmodern feminism because she said as long as uh like women are a category of people that are so she's not essentialist, but as long as women are yeah. a category of people that are created through the division the sexual division of labor i will continue to talk about women it's like well the argument isn't you can't talk about women the argument is that we should also like acknowledge people who aren't women um like like who aren't women or men but anyway it was written in 2006, <laughs> uh, 2006 2007 and she's pretty cool otherwise but um it's also this thing that very often like people who fall outside of like uh the the, the gender binary that we which as we understand as it, has its roots in the bourgeois ideology of uh the industrial uh industrializing yeah. europe um uh also like um very often uh have a history of being involved in like what we would call like magical practices or like um like yeah. uh like practices of regulating culture and, and things like this in like in uh, in very very many different uh societies including in europe um and it's interesting now that like uh that uh a lot of the time this idea of like transness is tied to this medic uh, this medical model mm. um, whereas in the past it uh, like we've also been tied to like magical models
1: yeah, I think it's quite interesting. What I was thinking basically as well is that also if you think if you also if you take the energy and time and effort that it would it takes to raise a child, um, and you actually put all of that instead into your wardrobe of, Yeah, into your wardrobe, <laughs> into social production. <laughs> yeah. Turn and <in> lock. Yeah. <laughs> Turn and look, you put that into turn and look, the amount of looks that you can turn. Actually, I was thinking about this with just with the nature of art as well, that also that people get caught up in things so much that they don't have the time to develop an artistic practice, which is why people are ready to buy art, basically, as well. Like, this is actually, I realise this is a great thing with it, because it's also that if you, that when you don't, you aren't within just, when you look towards forms of production that are outside just reproducing the species, but cultural production, because obviously when you're reproducing another human or things like that, then that's a lot of effort. And also that's a very interesting, that's a very interesting and dynamic and creative process as well, in which parents, because parents are arguably your original gods at a certain point. It's just like, there's this like deification of them. So I think it's interesting. I think also just in terms of like magic and, and modernity and these sorts of things, that when the witches were being burned, there was also John Dee, who was like the court magician, for the Queen of England. And he, it's rumoured he's the person who, who thought of the, the, the British Empire. But what's very interesting in terms of, you know, what I mentioned earlier about the number zero and its, its impact on the West, which came about because of this, this Muslim empire, is that Isaac Newton was actually primarily an alchemist. And he spent most of his time writing about alchemy. Really? 90, yeah, 90, like 90% to 95% of Isaac Newton's writings are gobbledygook about alchemy. <laughs> like, it's all, yeah, they're completely nonsensical. Amazing. And actually, yeah, and the laws of physics, basically, are a complete exception to these things he was writing about. And also to do with light and these sorts of things. It was to do with this very precise moment. And Slavoj Zizic argues that, um, that the intellectual space... Was opened uh, opened up for this this space of abstraction is due to basically market abstraction. It's due to the double abstraction of of commodities being abstracted from the use value, what they can be used for, into a regimen of exchange value, which is what they can be what they can be exchange you know what they can be exchanged for how they can and so we go into a space of pure quantity. And that also as well is that uh, at the same time like as this was happening that. Um, Descartes came up with the Cartesian coordinate system and then later on conceptual like, descri- gave a description to the Renaissance and Enlightenment self, like, of which I think therefore I am, which went through various things. But both of these things, basically, they, they require this use of zero, they require this space, this space of, eb- uh, of absence at the heart of its function. And this is what what really magic and religion also are in a certain sense as well. They're a process of relating to absence. And allowing people to to conceptually to conceptually engage in the world. Even the number zero itself is actually primarily uh, uh, a representation of the state of nirvana, and it comes from, uh, from from like from an ancient cave somewhere. Which basically it's about the idea of being in a completely perp- and that's why it's a circle. Huh? It's being in this complete state of bliss that with neither beginning nor end, and that's where but that zero means
0: comes from. Z- zero comes from Buddhism. No, uh, Hinduism. Hinduism? Yeah.
1: Oh. Or Nirvana or something like that. I, don't I know thought it was...
0: To... I thought it was the... Um, it was like, uh, like Arab mathematicians in the Muslim empire that
1: came up with zero. I don't know. No, they didn't. They yeah. trans- no, I, I, I translated... Like I said, the, the, the Arabic numerals were previously called Hindi numerals. Yeah, yeah, the numerals. But I thought the concept of zero... They came up. No, 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 no. The concept of zero comes from India. Really? Which, like originally huh. Nirvana. Yes. Yeah. Look, honestly, if you want to treat yourself, go and research the number zero. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very like a that's an oozy gloop retreat. <laughs> 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 it's like friday night i know what i'm gonna do oh baby yeah but it's, the th- point as well is that basically is that medicine mathematics all of these things are just forms of mysticism yeah that are translated and sh- with share that are functioning within a shared consensus space yeah basically and that a part of that also at the same time as well in which and that shared consensus space is one that excludes trans experience yeah yeah so then
0: yeah. I'm just like I'm I'm catching up I'm processing all of the things that you just said. This is like yeah.
1: Well also I think as well that it's well, it's kind of interesting as well that the fantasy as well is also again this it's this place of imaginative escape because fundamentally it fantasy is just kind of a way of getting away with all of it and just kind of like delighting in things and getting away from all these different complicated things. I mean the the, the history itself is and history itself actually is a fantastical process because obviously that what we read is something that is authored and it's an interpretation and like a translation as well. It's not it's not the reality we engage in. And actually there's many different ways of viewing these things. And I think that fantasy is this beautiful, it like fantasy sort of allows us to, uh, this space to just engage and play in like different concepts, which are also as well. And I think just a great example of this as well is uh, is The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. Uh-huh. Well, just, have you read this? Yes. Yeah, you know, just for the way that it opens up this, it's really, what's really funny about that is that reading that from a non-binary perspective in the 21st century, it still completely works, despite the fact it was written about 40 or 50 years
0: yeah, ago. Yeah, I still the Gwyn's great, I love her. Oh, so good. Yeah, she's
1: sick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also as well, like, uh, oh my god, she is sick. And unfortunately dead, but completely sick.
0: Yeah, well, some very sick people are also dead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a very, uh, very um, good. I think Ursula K. Le Guin is exactly the right place to leave our um, episode on fantasy. It's been uh, yeah. a pleasure to discuss the various fantastical elements
1: of life with you using Gloop. And I have enjoyed this belly crawl through the mundane with you, Olympia Bukakis. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, dear listeners.
0: If you have, uh, if you like this episode, please share it on Instagram. That really helps us uh, meet new, friendly, fun, exciting new listeners. And also, if you have a question, comment or some feedback or an idea for a theme, then you can email
1: us at SlurrySpeaks at gmail.com. Yes. Yes, of yeah. course, it's .com. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you can send an email there if you want to take Olympia out for a cola. <laughs> the okay. scandal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do check that email inbox. So
0: if you do want to, if you want to buy me a cola, then uh, let me know. <laughs> or or yeah. now that we are opening it up to that, or if you want to beat the shit out of Oozing Gloop, uh, then you can also yeah. send that in and I'll make sure that... Yeah, I want to
1: say I'm... Yeah, I'm very doubtful about our listenership's uh, commitment after I only got one, one message on my Instagram about what someone wanted to do after they died and it wasn't even about them, it was something else. Oh. Yeah, I did not get... I was I was hoping to get spammed with at least five death-related Instagram posts. Yeah, I guess maybe people
0: weren't really feeling death because, you know, so many people are dying at the moment. <laughs> Fucking lie. I think that's uh, fair. I,
1: no I just got the um, I've actually just got the the Tibetan book of living and dying Uh and it it very explicitly talks about the process of integrating death into uh, your life and preparing for death in various ways and actually in the West we have a very negative approach to it
0: and that's a beautiful postscript to our episode on fantasy
1: (laughs) (laughs) bye (laughs) bye (laughs)